Thank you, Janet Lee. Songs about Jesus Christ. Can there be any better songs in the entire whole world? I would say not. Not if you are talking about a divine message. You can't beat the songs about Jesus Christ. And hello out there, everybody. We are so happy to be here today. And I'll tell you what this sort of is. This is sort of like digging roots, you know, like um, trying to trying to get this message to you people so that it's in your spirit, that it lives in you. Uh, I talk to different people sometimes who are listening to the broadcast, reading manifest blogs, and and they're doing well, but you know they have questions. They're just not sure about one thing and then another. Uh, although those things have been covered, uh, they're they're you know penetrating uh, in their episodic manner, and and uh, they have deep uh, you know meanings that that are enfolded. Uh, always uh, of the nature that, that, that there is a manifold of meanings. So uh, here we are today, Analog with Angels, Part 14, and this is Sunday, October 6th, 2013. So today, for the prayer to be imbued within the, the message, we're going to be dealing with the subject of uh, stomach and bowel problems. There seems to be a rage of stomach and bowel problems going on uh, around the earth. And uh, we want to uh, make this available for people having such problems as that. So that as they listen to this message, the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit will be imbuing them uh, with this word in a sense of as a sense of not only comprehension but a sense of the healing of their stomach and bowel problems. Blessed be the name of God. Here we go. Now, um, some some uh, scriptures I want to read. Uh, you know, I've shared these scriptures before. But uh, I have no limit on how many times I may share a scripture uh, to be sure that it, it gets into the minds of the hearers and, and the people that are seeking this deep information. Psalms 68:11, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company, troops of angels, that published it. And so... That's an exciting verse, especially as we are looking forward to the publishing of the Peace Manifest Bible and the Holy Manifest uh, book. Uh, we, we do believe that God is going to be, give not only the capability, uh, but the unction of the time when those things are going to be published. Uh, but in addition and far prior to, the, to those books, is, you know, uh, Psalms 19 that talks about the, the Word of God uh, and Romans 10 that calls it the, the sound of God, the, the very gospel of God, and that it goes out to all the world and there is no place that it does not go and there is no one that has not heard it. And so that deep within every person lies the domain of truth. So it's exciting it's exciting, exciting, exciting. <coughs> Bless be the name of God. 
Now, John fifteen fifteen. for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. And therefore also, many other things which Jesus did, <coughs> the which they shall be written, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. John 10, um, 16, I believe it is, Other sheep I have that are not of this fold, them I must bring, they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Wow, beautiful. John 6, what if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? What a question. What a question of the ages. What if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? Where was he before? Well, he said in John 14, I go away to prepare a place for you, that where I am you may be also. If it were not true, I would have told you, in my Father's house are many mansions. And I didn't put that just exactly in verse order, but just for effect order. And so, there is this, this reality that exceeds virtual reality. And it says that if we could see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before, and, and notice the term Son of Man, that is very important, because there's two elements that have to do with Jesus Christ. There's the Son of God and the Son of Man. And they are specifically two different subjects that relate one to the physical, one to the spiritual. And when we're talking about the Son of Man ascending back to where he was before, we are talking about a physical place. And we are not talking the heaven of heavens, which is a spiritual place. Now, we know that physical bodies like the earth have physical and what is called heaven uh, firmament, those are still physical, but they sort of, because of their partial invisibility, uh, sort of make a person think of them as being spiritually sighted. But they are still physical. Even space is physical. And so now we begin to see that um, if a person can come into that understanding, and Jesus says, what if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? Without a vision, the people perish, the Bible says. So there is a vision to be had of people being able to see this in their mind, to see this in their heart, to see this as part of the spiritual inspiration and knowledge of God, to see this as a Holy Spirit unction, to see Christ. And, and you ask it, what if you, you were able to see this, to see me ascend to where I was before? He's not asking that as a frivolous question. He's asking it and speaking it because it is important it is important for the people to have a vision, at least they perish. 
for the people to understand what the plan of the future is for God's people. And you, you need to have that vision in your mind way, way, way before it ever happens. You need to be able to see where, the, where Jesus has gone. And you need to understand that he was, he was from there. He came from there. That doesn't mean that's his very, very uttermost original home, but it certainly is his home where he has conducted creation from. Wow. John 1, 51, And he saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, After you shall, uh, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see the heavens open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, you are listening to this, this broadcast. You are listening to me speaking. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever seen the angels ascending and descending on your Lord and Savior? Have you ever seen it even in the sense of the realization, of the sense of the manifestation, of the sense of the transformation, and the sense of the transfiguration, as Peter, John, and James on the mount saw that experience on Mount Hermon? And I know there's people say it wasn't that mountain, but they don't know what they're talking about. And I do. And so, it's absolutely important and vital and necessary that some of these things that you have come to that realization. It's a manifest realization. That you've seen the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before. That You've also seen angels ascending on him and, 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 and uh, descending on him and ascending. There is a tremendous message in that. There is a tremendous past, present, and future in that. It's, it's, it's a can opener. It opens up those ancient, ancient bottles of spiritual wine. And lead you to be able to taste the sweet that is sweeter than honey. God is wanting to bring his people to these, these places, these circuits of the angels. We know in John 1.14 that the Word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. Anything that propagates in one direction can always propagate back in the direction from which it came. So if the Word, which is Spirit, can be made flesh then flesh can be made spirit. And if that can be made of the nature so that it can take on the form that is necessary 
in which the Bible says the 16th chapter of Mark, and, and Jesus appeared unto them in other forms, there are different forms that are necessary for different ministries. And if you can appear in that form, that is the call of, of the moment, then you are really getting into the Word. Because your Word can be made flesh, or your flesh can be made Word or Spirit. So when Paul said, whether you're in the Spirit or out of the, whether in the body or out of the body, which was another way of saying whether you're in the Spirit or, or, or in the body, a true man of God can never be kept in captivity. Even if he's in prison, even if he's in jail, even if he is limited to space or dimension, his mind is free, his heart is free, his spirit is free, his soul is free. Now as we begin to deal with all of these different roots and these very limited terms, something like only 5,000 in the Hebrew language, and we begin to deal with the, the tense in Hebrew, which has no form to indicate past, present, or future. And so that the only way that you can know if the subject in the, in the text is speaking about the past, the present, or the future, the only way you can tell the time that the Hebrew text is speaking of is by the context. Without the context, there is no provision in the Hebrew language to be able to tell you what the time was, whether it's talking about past or way back or present or future or way into the future. You have to have the context, which is another way of saying you have to have the interpretation. Well, now, when we talk about time, like, let's look at 2 Corinthians 6.2, the day of salvation. Now, people spin that off and they read it. It drops from their mouths. And they don't think too much about that when they say day. They just think the day of salvation. But when you say the day, that is a way of defining it because you put the the in front of it. And to a lot of people, that could make it a 24-hour period. Because that's what they consider a day is. Especially when they're trying to interpret Genesis 1. So if the day is a 24-hour period, then the day of salvation is, would be over a long time ago. So when we begin to understand 2 Corinthians 6, 2, the day of salvation, we realize that day is not a 24-hour period. 
And whether we go back to the day of, of Christ, the day of the Lord, even to our time now, over 2,000 years, we believe that that day of salvation is still going on. That means that day is not a 24-hour period. It means it's going on thousands of years. And I'm sure most of you would believe that if time went on for another 10, 15, or 20,000 years, the day of salvation would still be occurring an imminent, absolute, a provision. And so we start looking at this thing. And then when we read in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, past, present, and future. We have to be very careful the color that we, that we put to the interpretation of that as to what the duration of, of yesterday, today, and forever is. It's really interesting how that, that is worded. The same yesterday and today. And then it says, doesn't say tomorrow. Doesn't say Jesus Christ the same today, same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But now it takes and it catacombs this word that would be tomorrow to really show the ultimate see the ultimate meaning of it. Because the next part says past, present, future, which is a normal translation of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But when we say the same yesterday, today, and forever, now it really begins to put a strong, definitive meaning here that these days of salvation, that these experiences, definition-wise, for yesterday, today, for the past, the present, and the future, are all really incorporated in the entitlement of a much greater term, of a much greater elongation of time. Tomorrow can be said to be forever because it's an ever-repeating sequential aspect of reoccurrence and of new occurrences. Second Peter 3.8 says, Be not ignorant of this one thing. And it's very important that you understand that that's just one thing. That's one little aspect of this thing about time. One little aspect. But even of that one little aspect, if you don't get it, if you don't not get the noggin going on it, if you don't get the drum beating on it, then you're going to miss out the whole message of the time of the coming of Jesus Christ of the in of the duration of of the earth the when the was 
and the where to for, you're not going to know it because you're in the, in the ignorant column. And he says, be not ignorant. At least be not ignorant of this one thing. At least. And there are a couple other scriptures that say this besides it being written in Peter. And that is this. One day is with the Lord a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. Who could ever imagine such a thing? That you would use the word day, and the day would not mean 24-hour period, but the day would mean a thousand years as one thing, as one of the meanings. When you start getting into the 30-fold, the 60-fold, the 100-fold, then those definitions expand and extend. Until you can reach the term like forever that it gave in Hebrews 13.8. Which then means the vanishing point beyond what is comprehensible to the common human mind. It's a vanishing point. And there are so many vanishing points in the Bible today. And so many people are just lost in the realms of those vanishing points. Those vanishing points are like a labyrinth that they cannot find their way out of. That's an amazing revelation. It is so important. In Deuteronomy 32.7, it says, The days of old, the days of old, O-L-D, comma, the years of many generations. In my opinion, what is happening here with this comma is the days of old is not a complete sentence. It would be a fragment. So obviously, what is to follow it after the comma is a continuation of the definition. And so when it says the days of old, the years of many generations, here we have an interpretation that says that the days can represent the years that are incorporated within the many generations of time. Wow. Now, Jesus said in Matthew twenty four thirty six, Verily I say unto you that these things shall come upon this generation. Many, many individuals pre uh, present interpreted that to mean the generation uh, that uh, they were alive in at the time that Jesus spoke this. In fact, those things still have not been fulfilled to this day. So there obviously was a different meaning. In Genesis 2.17, it says, In the day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
So the Lord said clearly that if Adam or Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that in that day they would surely die. But that day being interpreted to be a 24-hour period, neither Eve nor Adam died. So either you have to say, well, that was false prophecy, or you have to say there was a different meaning of the word day. In Genesis 2.4, it says, these are the generations. These are the generations of the day. Now, this thing of generations is so important to understand because in the original Bible, the original Torah, there, there, there were no commas, no punctuation. There were, there were no verses, and there were no chapters. It was a continuous word. And so when you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then that's followed with, and these are the generations in the day that God created the heavens and the earth. That's, con that's the context. Without the context, you can't know the tense. You cannot know the tense. If you take that out and say that that verse is not connected to the, to the seven days, you do not have the finished context to interpret what the length of those days are. Now, there will be people that say, well, now, if you look up the word generation, the same word generation that it says there in, in Genesis 2-4, and where it says that the generations are the days, the generation is talking about is about families, about, about having young children and, and families. So that's just not talking about what they're trying to say it's talking about, like representing some long span of time. And I, I know there are ministers out there. There are pulpit Pulpit, I don't, I, I'll be nice, I won't say a bad word. They are pulpit people that just hang over that, that speaker podium and say these things as if it was revealed to them by God. And there are even scholars because they will equate that generation to represent families. But they do not understand that word by the Holy Spirit. And they do not understand it, Holy Spirit contextually. <clears throat> now what am I saying? I'm saying the truth. And I can prove the truth by giving you scriptures. And that's what I'm going to do right now. For instance, if we take if we take Genesis 1.14, which I read to you quite often now, and I, I will continue to do it until this is ingrained in your mind. Genesis 1.14 says, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser night to rule the night. 
He made the stars also. Now we see that he has a provision here for all these creations that he made. But we see that prior to that, in verse 14, it says, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. So these, these, this sun and the moon which reflects the sun was about star time because star sun is a star. And when we're talking about star time, star time, we're talking billions of years. But now let me show you another scripture which is so absolutely powerful. So absolutely powerful. Look at Genesis 15. Look at Genesis 15 and get yourself caught up so that you can rightly be rightly divide the word of God and be able to give an answer unto all men that inquire of the hope that lies within you. In Genesis 15, 1 through 5, and after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision. Now see, a lot of times the word of God comes in a vision. Not all, not always in a personal visitation. Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Thou, sh thou shalt not, uh, this shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad. He took him abroad. Sometimes, people, when you want to find out the word of God, you've got to go abroad. If you stay in that, that little trench trying to fight World War I, staying in that third grade mentality that the, many of the churches have never gone beyond where the Bible says, setting aside the principles of the foundations of the doctrines of Jesus Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again. And it lists a whole list of things that you would think could never be made secondary. Going on. Now what does it say here? Because I want you to get this. This is immense. This is absolutely immense. And he brought him forth abroad. And said, now look toward heaven. Look toward heaven. Some people are, you know, into the crucifixion of Jesus, and that is a marvelous, incredible thing. But the crucifixion of Jesus would have no power if there wasn't a resurrection of Jesus. So you have to get Jesus off the cross, into the tomb, and then resurrected from the tomb before you can really understand the meaning of his being on the cross. 
And that same kind of thing applies when we are talking about revelation of the Bible. There are certain aspects of things that people get into in their, the, the teachings that they have been taught. And they can never get off the cross to get the resurrection to happen. They are so ground-rooted, they are so eyes upon the earth rooted that they can't see the real plan of heaven. They can't see the symbolisms, the metaphors, the parables. They haven't been taken abroad. Look now toward heaven. We're in Genesis 15, verse 5. Look now toward heaven. Sometimes you have to leave the Torah, leave the Old and New Testament, not dismiss it, not forget it, not exit it like you're not ever coming back, but you have to set it aside and go abroad. You've got to start getting your mind elevated into the heavenly things. And it says, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. Is that God just making a, a fun? No. God would never tell a person to do something if it wasn't possible. And Jesus understood that. That's why he taught all things are possible. He says, if thou be able to number them, and he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Do you have any idea what this means? There are over 200 billion stars at least just in this one galaxy. And there's millions of galaxies. Millions. And he specifically says here, your number is going to be like the number of the stars of heaven. Now, is that fallacious? Is that deceit? Is that false? This is a serious subject for this man. He's not had any children. And he's, he's old, and his wife is old. A serious subject. It's not a subject to make fun with. And the Bible says that Abraham, in the sixth verse, verse, he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And I can understand that, because that was such a difficult thing to believe. Such a difficult thing to believe. How could he have that many children? That much seed? Well, see, the revelation here is quite incredible. It's quite incredible. So when the Bible says in Genesis 2-4, these are the generations in the day that God made the heaven and earth. These are the generations in the day that God made the heaven and earth. <laughs> generations, when it's, they're talking about family, yes. But they're talking about family in the sense of the Abrahamic covenant that has to do with the stars and the seed of God and the number of the stars. And if you want to talk about how long it would take mathematically 
and exponentially for all the seed of Abraham to reach a point that it was as many stars as there are in the heavens, which there would not be enough room on the planet Earth to house that many people. You are talking generations, generations upon generations of time. You are not talking 24-hour day. And so when you take and go to the Strong's Concordance or the Young's or wherever you choose to go to find your need to interpret the, the Hebrew word, and you see, you know, bear young, beget, have children, have, a, have families. Yes, yes. Because that's the whole plan of God from the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. Because that all has to do with the ultimate plan of God for, for redeeming the orphanims and for bringing new creations whose names have never ever been written in the Lamb's book of life. So that eventually there will be more spirit souls that will be able to join God and be able to love God and he loved them in the first domain, the heaven of heavens, the realms above all physical complexes. Wow. That is so important for you to comprehend. Yes, people say, well, people only live so many days. And so, you know, it, it can't be that long of a time. That's not the full story. That's not the full story. People that don't know about regeneration don't realize that, that these saints keep coming back. They regenerate and come back as dignitaries. Or if they haven't finished their opportunity of life, they come back to finish that. Now, you can't put a period on that. You can't put a dial on that. You can't put a time on that. You have to do like what, the, what they did in the scripture here where they said the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> beyond the beyond, the vanishing point. Wow. Okay. We're going to stop there and take a break. We've got a lot to cover. Oh, my. I might have to go over today. But in the meanwhile, Janet Lee is coming and playing the organ.
Thank you so much, Janet Lee. I have to believe that only a tremendously lovely person with a beautiful heart could play such a spiritual way as you play. It is just absolutely wonderful, and it touches my spirit every time. God bless you. And here we are, people, back on our subject of generation. In Psalms 105, verse 8, he hath remembered his covenant forever. This is not just Torah. This is not just Old Testament. In the New Testament, in the book of Revelations, it tells about a compilation, a compound celebration and sharing. Because there is this crystallized sea called glass upon which Moses and the Lamb are standing and singing the songs of God. Now, when we read here, he hath remembered his covenant forever. We are talking duration. We are talking something vast of time. This is the 105th chapter of Psalms. And it is the 8th verse. He's remembered his covenant forever, ladies and gentlemen. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Now, Abraham, uh, pardon me, Adam lived <clears throat> 930 years. He was 70 years short of the thousand years. So if, according to 2 Peter 3 8, be not ignorant of this one thing. <clears throat> One day is with the Lord a thousand years, a thousand years, one day. So then, if we looked at that day as at that time meaning a thousand years, then Jesus, in his word and in his explanations, and in various other scriptures, because you know that Peter who said this, he learned this on the mount with the master, with Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration, as the Lord opened up the scriptures from the Old Testament. And it is so important then to understand that the word of God did come to pass because the day that it was talking about was a thousand years. And so Adam did not live the thousand years. In the day, in the day, sometime in the day, the day being a thousand years, you will die. And at 930 years, which was 70 years short of the thousand years, he did die. And then that 70 years was passed on to all humanity. So that in the 90th chapter of Psalms, Beginning with the eighth verse, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. For, that preposition then is a causation word, which is determined by the contextuality, which is preset 
There is something that has consumed, consumed the time. Now, how do we know that this is the subject? Well, just look at verse 4. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past. The same thing that Peter says in 2 Peter 3.8. And that scripture is also mentioned in the books of Moses. And so it's right here in the context. And the thousand years are but as a watch. A watch for what? A watch in the night. A watch because there is a, 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 a position and a proposition that has to do with, with these fallen angels that have come down and taken bodies. And, and this whole thing is a compilation of that revelation contextually given. Therefore, verse 9, 4 because of this, is what it says, all our days are passed away in the wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. That's 70 years. That is the 70 unlived years of Adam. Reduced from a thousand years to to 70 years. And interestingly, no one in the Old, in the Old Testament in Genesis or in, in the Chronicles or Books of Kings or Numbers is shown to have lived over a thousand years. Even way, way back there of long, long, long ago. They all die in the day because of the transgression of Eve, which it explains it was her transgression in the book of Timothy. Now this is Bible. This is reality. But still there is a covenant given with Abraham and, and an oath with Isaac and the same was confirmed unto Jacob for a law and an everlasting covenant. Which in verse 8 is the word that he commanded to a thousand generations. So when you take a thousand times 70 that you find in the 90th chapter, you have 70,000 years. You have 70,000 years. Then if you go to the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, we have a very serious verse. And that very serious verse tells us this. Verse 24, and notice the term of the number. Seventy weeks. Seventy weeks are determined upon the, thy people. We're talking here the 70,000 generations because in, ingrained in this is the meaning of the Sabbath 
and it incorporates, incorporates all the different kinds of Sabbath. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. There's a determination, ladies and gentlemen. You can't get around it. You can, you can listen to all kinds of, of preachers and all kinds of concepts, but this is the Word of God, and here's why it's a determination and why it is different than anything else. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. And the holy city, holy city, <laughs> not just Jerusalem in the sense that it's a physical city, a deeper meaning which we'll cover in a little bit, Lord willing, to finish the transgression. The transgression's got to get finished. How does the transgression get finished? It doesn't get finished until every fallen angel has had all his opportunities, all his chances of Regeneration, as it describes and offers it in the Bible. I don't have the time to go into <laughs> regeneration right now. The transgression's got to be finished. And what does that do? It makes an end of the sins. Can you understand what that means to say that, that there's no more sin? It makes an end of the sin. The transgression is finished. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up the vision and the prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. Now look at chapter 12 of, of Daniel verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away. And the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. That thousand two hundred and ninety days is three and a half years, which is interpreted in Daniel and other, other books as meaning the time, times, and a half times. And that times, time, and a half times equals the same 70 weeks that I read to you about in the, in the ninth chapter of Daniel. So, when was this abomination of desolation set up? In 70, 70, get that again, 70 A.D., which Jesus predicted it in the 24th chapter of the book of, of, of Matthew. And, and in, the, in 70 A.D., the Romans came, they destroyed the temple, they, they, they did horrendous things. They burnt down the walls, dislodged the stones, killed the people that were hiding in the temple, and many other people, over 30,000 people they took for slaves. And the abomination of desolation, the, stop, the, the stopping of, of, of the sacrifices has never continued again since that time. They say that in Jerusalem, Israel, Jerusalem, that there is a practice, not by the priest, but by someone that sort of stands in for the priest, of each day sacrificing a chicken. But it is not the true. It's not offered on the altar. There is no altar. It's not the true sacrifice. So from that time, from that time forward, 
70 AD. And, and from the time that the sa- daily sacrifice shall be taken away from that time, and the abomination make it desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days, three and a half years, three and a half years equaling the time, times and a half times, the time, time and a half times, equaling the seventy thousand generations, the seventy weeks, the seventy generations, the seventy thousand generations began in seventy AD. From that time forward, there is all this time left for many things to happen. Now, will one day there be an end of this world? Yes. An end of this earth. Isaiah 51, 6. Talks about the long time until the end of, the earth, of earth life. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. Have you ever done that? I know that, you know, you, you, you take trips. You go f- to one nation to another. You cross the, maybe the seven seas. But have you ever been of the nature where you could be lifted up above the earth in a spiritual way so you could really see what is going on in the earth beneath? It says, the heavens shall vanish away like smoke. And the earth shall wax old like a garment. Now, I want you to get this. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to get this. The earth is going to wax old. It's going to wax old, 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 old. Like a garment. And there's a real meaning in that. Okay, let's get on with this. Okay, the heavens are going to vanish away like smoke and the earth is going to wax old like a garment. Now, some people say, yeah, you know, the heavens, that's got to be all the universe. No, no, it doesn't. What was called a heaven in the book of, of Genesis? In the book of the first chapter of Genesis, God created the earth and he also created a heaven. And in verse 8, he called the firmament heaven. The firmament. What is the firmament? Well, the firmament that is called heaven, or that sometimes called the heavens, are the layered atmosphere above the earth. Now, even Isaiah 51.6 talks about the heavens. But these layered atmospheres above the earth, he starts with the thermosphere, T-H-E-R-M-O-S-P-H-E-R-E, which is a layer of earth's atmosphere, just a layer. So the thermosphere is directly above the mesosphere and below the exosphere. Metasphere is M-E-S-O-S-P-H-E-R-E, exosphere, is E-X-O-S-P-H-E-R-E. Now the outermost layer of the exosphere is approximately 6,200 miles above the thermosphere. 6,200 miles, that's 10,000 kilometers. 
So the beginning from the Earth's surface is the the troposphere, the troposphere, T-R-O-P-O-S-P-H-E-R-E, which extends 4 to 12 miles high. Next comes the stratosphere, S-T-R-A-T-O-S-P-H-E-R-E, which extends around 30 miles high. Then comes the metasphere, M-E-S-O-P-H-E-R-E, which extends 53 miles high. So, the thermosphere, also called the ionosphere, the aura, can be considered in this, uh, this uh, form. From the top of the stratosphere, it extends above the metasphere with ranges upwards of 365 kilometers. which then extends to the top of the of the thermosphere which i mentioned the top being that reaching that 6200 uh, miles into and above the exosphere which is the beginning of outer space now that's what you're talking about that's going to be destroyed so when it talks about the heavens are going to be destroyed. It's talking about the whole atmosphere of the earth is going to be destroyed. And the, heaven, and the earth is going to just wax old then. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. They're going to die because there's no atmosphere. No atmosphere to protect them from the rays of the sun. The, the, the electromagnetism. But he says, all they that dwell therein are going to die. The earth is going to wax old. It's going to wax old because it's going to have direct sun. It's not going to have protection from the sun anymore. The sun is going to dry it up. That's why the Bible says there's not going to be any more sea. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. This is what's going to happen to the earth, ladies and gentlemen. You people that have been taught about the world tomorrow, and you think that you're going to live here uh, endlessly forever, that is not what the Bible teaches. There's no place that the Bible teaches that. It is not Bible. It is not the Word of God. And I know those teachings, and I know them well, but they are not correct. In Second Peter 3, 12, looking and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, heavens, this atmosphere I read to you, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, that was 2 Peter 3.12, 2 Peter 3.13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Revelations 21.1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth were passed away. The first earth is gone, it's passed away, it's melted, it's burned up, and there was no more see.
Revelations 21:23, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did light, lighten it, and the Lamb thereof is the light. And people say, oh, well, see, here's a, this new world that you're going to have. You know, it's not going to have, a, have a, a sun or a moon. No, that's not what it said. Would you get off the boat called air? And I don't mean A-I-R, I mean E-R-R-O-R. It said the, the city, and the city had no need of the sun. You have to understand what this city is. This city called New Jerusalem, which means place of peace or city of peace, which is such an old spiritual name that it existed before this universe did. That name. Now hang and hold here and hear this. This is so important. So vital. This city is talking about comes down from heaven. And it's not talking about the atmosphere. It may come through the atmosphere, but that city is a planetome. It's a planetome. It's a ship. And it can, it can handle 144,000 people plus because it is 1,400 miles long and 1,400 miles wide and 25 stories tall. It's huge. It's a planetome. And of course, as it travels through space, far, far away from this sun and from this moon, it has its own light. It has its own generation of reflection that you get from the moon. Because the glory of God has made this all to be that real. Blessed be the name of God. Wow. Wow. In Isaiah 65, 8 through 17, it talks about the end of the earth. And it says the former, meaning this earth, will not even be remembered. It will not even be remembered. That's the end of this earth. Because most of the things that have to do with this earth are shameful. The only thing that has glory to it is what Jesus Christ has done. And in Isaiah 66, 22 through 23, the new heavens, the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, which means I will make available, will remain as your seed will remain. Which we know the covenant with, with Abraham was like the number of the stars. It was, this, is, this is star revelation. This is star time. And that is the replacement. And this planetome is all part of the plan of God. 
Praise God. And in Revelation 21, 5, it says, And he that sat upon the throne said, I will make all things new. And so people have taken that verse and they have interpreted that verse shamefully. Shamefully. They said, well, he's going to make the earth new again. No, he's not. That's not what the Bible says. There's no scripture that teaches that. The earth is going to be destroyed. It's, it's not even going to be remembered anymore. It's going to be melted. It's going to pass away. There's going to be a new earth. And when you read this scripture in Revelation 21.5, and he that sat upon the throne says, I'll make all things new, you've got to put it in context. The preceding verses, Revelations 21, 3 through 4, refer to people in the contextuality. And so when you put that in the sense of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, about being in Christ, a person is a new, a, a new creature, because behold, all things are become new. That's what the subject was about. That is the context of that scripture in Revelations. It's not talking about the earth being made new. It's talking about the people being renewed. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Ephesians 4.24, that you put on the new man. Also Colossians 2.16, having put on the new man. Hebrews 9.15, mediator of a new and living way. Wow. Revelations 3.12, I will write on him my new name. <laughs> a new commandment I give you, John 13.34. Mark 16.17, they shall speak with new tongues. Let's not get mixed up with what is new and what is old. The Greek for that word new, 3501, means youthful, regenerate, regenerate. New, young, it's talking about not the earth, it's talking about people. Wow. Are you coming on? Are you getting it? This is so important. This is so very, very, very important. Wow. And this thing about heaven and the atmospheres. I read to you a while back about that word, Samasium. Shamasium. Psalms 103, 11. Isaiah 58, 10. Proverbs 25, 3. A word signifying heaped up of the heights, which is interpreted as heaven. Heaved. Just almost itself spells the word heaven. Take off the D out on the end and you got heaven. But that is what the word Samajim means. Samajim. Yim, I'm trying to say. Pronounce that S-A-S-H-A-M-A-Y-I-M. -A -A and so 
this all ties in to what the Bible really says, what, what, what the real interpretation of these scriptures are, and how important that is. Wow. Even when we start talking about the short time, Romans 9, 28, he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make on the earth. And you know, that has a meaning. It means, means that there's going to be the regeneration of the fallen angels. But after that is finished, there's only going to be enough time to get a new start of these new people that do not have souls yet whose names, the Bible says, are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And they are the new creations, the people who were originally intended to be created, instead of those humans that had to take the human bodies and occupy the earth with that until they could be regenerated. But what it is saying is that the time's going to have to be shortened. There's not going to be enough time to use earth for these people to, to, to come into the the full knowledge of the salvation power of Jesus Christ and and of their being conducted into this new potential for having souls. That's going to be cut off because that's going to have to be moved to a different planet. So that work on earth here is going to be finished in a short time. Wow. And so we shared with you here a week or two ago about the interpretation of Matthew 24, which has been such a confusing uh, chapter to so many people. They have so gotten it wrong by misinterpreting that scripture, not realizing that it is divided into three different parts because it was created to answer three different questions. Number one, when will these things, uh, when will these things be? Well, that answer is given in Matthew 24, verse 1 through 2. And it's about the destruction of Jerusalem. That was what the subject was. It was a local tribulation. Question two, what shall be the sign of your coming? Well, that answer re involves Revelation, uh, pardon me, pardon me, Matthew 24, verses 4 through 12. The sign of your coming, the second question, Matthew 24, verses 4 through 12. And the third question, and when will the end of the world be? Well, that is told in Matthew 24, verses 13 through 44. And it's about the Great Tribulation and the global effect. And Jesus answered those questions based on those, uh, base, answered those questions which were based on three questions and gave the answers in three different sections. But if you don't know that, you put it all together in, a, in one glob, it's going to so mess up your time schedule, so mess up your understanding that you won't know if you're coming or going. And just like when Jesus said, this generation shall not pass until all things are fulfilled. Well, I gave you the scriptures for that. Daniel 9, 24. And, 9, and, 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 and Daniel 12, 11 which were about the 70 weeks because that was described in Psalms 105. And it told about the covenant 
It told about the covenant. And it's the covenant of a, of a thousand generations. And that is the generation that will not pass. Now that's the hundredfold. Now you could look at this and you, could, you can apply thirtyfold and sixtyfold. But the hundredfold is the one that you really need to know right now with that revelation. Because that is so important. And people get, you know, when it starts talking about the end of the world this or the end of the world that or, or the end of time, they, they, they get mixed up because they don't understand dispensations. That the dispensations are divided. And, and unless, they, unless they know those dispensations and recognize them, they just get into nothing but trouble. And the same thing with the book of Revelations. Just like Matthew 24 has been divided into different sections, the book of Revelation is divided into, into different sections. And if you try to put it in a chronological order, uh, the which it was not written in a chronological order, then you are going to have things so mixed up, and it's going to be just like what we've got out there right now. Everybody thinking it's the end of the world, everybody thinking the rapture is due tomorrow. And just making one fool out of himself after another and making the church world look like idiots. God is moving by his spirit. And a new dawn is dawning. And there's all these things that are going to happen. Satan's going to be bound a thousand years. Why a thousand? Well, there you go again. You've got those that generation thing. And then there's going to be this what people call the millennium for a thousand years. But before Satan is bound for a thousand years, he's given the key to the bottomless pit. And he builds all these incredible flying machines. And there is a continuation of war. Now don't get confused because remember this. Some people don't realize that this war of the principalities has been going on a long time. Someone said, yeah, well, that happened after Lucifer fell. Wrong. It happened before Lucifer fell. And if you read chapter 12, you'll see that before they fell, there was war in heaven. And the angels fought. There was a war that went on. Someone said, well, that only happened for three minutes. Three minutes? 24 hours? <laughs> oh, come on. That went on for, e for e almost like an eternity of time. There was this war going on. You don't end a war with angels who have the most superior knowledge that can ever even be imagined by a human being or comprehended. You don't end, end that in some short duration. And so that war went on for a long time before Lucifer's co-owned angels were defeated because they were all, all of those that he was co-owned with were equal to archangels because that's how the system works. And when you talk about a bunch of archangels, you are talking about power so terrific, so awesome, so great of magnitude that it would warp a regular common human mind to try to understand it. So the war was going on. And then when they lost it, then they were cast to earth. 
And then after that, a short time after that, in the 12th chapter, it starts saying that Lucifer decided to start war again. And, and, and he, was, he w went after the lady, the church, the woman, who represented corporately the fallen angels, the Ophanim. And then there's going to be this war, and it's going to go on for time and time and time. It's going to go on for a long time. And then there will come the time that he'll be bound for a thousand years. A thousand years. <laughs> the Roman Empire would be lucky if it really lasted a thousand years. But it lasted a long time. A thousand years. <laughs> That's a long time. When people only live an average of 70 years, it's a long time. And the millennium goes on for 70 years. Well, after that happens, what do we have? As soon as it is over and Lucifer is released, he goes out to deceive. It's not an automatic. These people, which are part of the new creation, and they're also called the Gog and the Magog, because they're sort of like the dark hordes that have to be converted and Lucifer goes out to him and he basically convinces them that he is the chief of chiefs. And so he raises an army <laughs> in one instance of over 200 million soldiers. Just, just one aspect of an engagement. And this war goes on. And finally he brings it against the Planetome, hoping to destroy the Planetome and all the, the people. But guess what? Guess what? That is the time that the Planetome begins to airlift. And that is when the final fire from heaven, the angels directing the elect to escape from the earth in the zits, and it destroys all of the armies of Lucifer Satan. And the new life on new planets began. And that's another whole teaching. And it's beautiful, and there's a lot to it. Well, <clears throat> I was talking to someone last night, and they're wanting to know things about the Ziths. And we haven't even got back into the bells yet. I talked about last week about scientists recently re uh, coming to the knowledge that the planet Saturn can vibrate like a bell, creating spirals that oscillate and cause gravitational tugs, which is part of what creates the spiral patterns in the rings that are around Saturn. Of course, Tesla, in my teachings, He said that 
the earth rings like a bell. But some of the top scientists say that Tesla made a mistake based on his his coils and and the electromagnetic uh, currents that he made a mistake. Well, Tesla did not make a mistake. He just didn't furnish all the information that he knew because he didn't trust any of the people. But Kawa and TTTT, who were from Artura, who were, con were meeting with Tesla, and Tesla said to people that he was communicating with flying saucers, they were this, and they were his commander-in-chief, And he was here on a mission. He wasn't just anybody. He was here on a mission from Artura, from the Father's house. And the all of, of the things that he taught are not known. But eventually, as we have the time and as God reveals the wind, in addition to revealing the fifth dimension that we have on our blogs that Tesla had revelation of, we will be able to incorporate some of these other incredible scientific revelations. Now there's these incredible revelations about, about you know, in Ezekiel, about the this. And, and people just can't, easily seem to get a hold of it. But if we, we go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 1, and we see how that it is first described, that at a certain time, the word of God came expressly to Ezekiel chapter 3, and verse 4, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst of the uh, thereof, of the uh, as the color of amber, and out of the midst of the fire, and out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings. And their feet were straight feet. The soles of their feet was like the sole of a cow's foot. And they sparkled like the color of varnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. And they four had, they four had their faces and wings. And their wings were joined one to another. And they turned not when they went. And they went everyone straight forward. Now, in the 16th verse, let's start with the 15th verse. Now, I beheld the living creatures. Behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures upon his, with his four faces. And the appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of burl. 
and they four had one likeness, and they, they, their appearance and their work was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Now, don't lose your place there in Ezekiel 1, but if you skip over to Ezekiel 10, the same thing is said just slightly different and very interesting. Chapter 10, verse 10, And as for their appearance, they four had one likeness as if a wheel had been in the midst of a wheel. Go back now to chapter 1 of Ezekiel, verse 20. And wheresoever the spirit was to go, they went. Thither was their spirit to go. And the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Now you have to understand that these, these living creatures are called cherubim, and sometimes seraphim. And they were representing the four different kinds of humans on the face of the earth, described in the book of Genesis as the four rivers. So that when Noah had his ark, there was three sons, and people said, well, the three sons repopulated the whole earth. Uh, no, most of the whole earth, but not all of it. There is another scripture that says that Noah also was involved in the population. So there was four rivers again. And this continuum representing the four rivers, the four corners of the earth, the four winds, is an ongoing thing. And so these beasts that all had one appearance and they looked like a man represent the four different kinds of humans on the earth. And the proof of that is if you go to Revelations chapter 5. So when you go to Revelations chapter 5, what do you find? Well, let's just read it and see. In verse 6 of chapter 5, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And when he and when he and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts, the four beasts, and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, now this is the four beasts the four, and the twenty-four elders, for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So here we see that these four beasts represent tongues, nations, kindred, people, represent the different four kinds of man, and they are under the plan of redemption. It's right there. Undeniable. Absolute. Absolute biblical proof. Now, when we start getting into this thing about the wheels, and we go back to chapter 1, verse 18, and we read, As for their rings... 
They were so high that they were dreadful or awesome. And their rings were full of eyes around about them. Now this is talking about the construction of, of the ship, of the Zith. And so the word for rings also means strikes, which means bands of metal, rims of metal. And these rims were full of eyes. And what that's talking, talking about is these little apertures that were all involved as detection eyes. So that <coughs> these detection eyes circled the entire circumference of the ship, of the Zith. And in every which direction that can be imagined, at very short intervals of space in between the eyes, they were able to have their special detections to know everything that's happening far, far or near in space. And because the, the wheels, which are the old fans, being represented by the cherubims and the seraphims, the four-wing being the cherubim, the six-wings being the seraphims, you have to understand that the spirit that is inside the wheel, which, which the wheel in the middle of a wheel, are these spirits that are moving and directing this ship and causing it to go because this is not like aircraft today that is moving on computer or moving on, on, on human manipulation. These persons are very advanced to the point that the ship is made and it is signatured after the pilots. And the pilots actually then, in a certain sense, become a part of the ship itself and the ship a part of them. Because without them, they are not consigned to be able to do anything. But with them, they can move according as the Spirit directs them. And they are the, they are the, the, the wheel in the middle. They are the, middle, the wheel in the middle of the wheel. And these rims, which are called the rings, which have the, the eye apertures of detection, there are a couple sets of those. There is the regular rim that is not mobile except as the whole ship moves. Then there's the other one that, that moves. And then some of them move in opposite directions. One ring going one way, one ring going the opposite way. And like I say, two sets of those plus the actual rings of the physical uh, fixed structure of the, uh, of, the, of, the Z, of the Zeth, which the top is shaped like a bell, and it flattens out as it gets into greater speeds. And so this thing of the, of, of, of the, of the, of the bell and of the vibrations and this whole connection to these Ziths is represented as being worn by the priest, the high priest. And the story that is told on the fringe of their garment. 
of the gold bill and the pomegranate, the gold bill and the pomegranate, and the pomegranate representing all of the the seed of the, you know, that is to be planted in the universe, of which the Bible tells us in the 51th, first chapter of Isaiah that that we are going to plant the foundations of uh, of the universe from the earth. So we have the pomegranates with an incredible message. We have the message of the bells being involved with the with the tongues of angels. We have the prayer shawl which has also the zith representation of the flying ziths as represented by the angels on the head of the woman, 1 Corinthians 11.10, and the tongues of the angels, 1 Corinthians 13.1, and the three trees of life and the meaning of all of that in its division as represented in the book of Revelation as we begin to apply it. Well, we've run out of time. But Lord willing, next week, we'll really be able to get into the, the bells and the pomegranates and some very, very interesting things. And as this word of God has is, is been imbued into this message and stomachs are being healed and bowel problems are being eliminated, don't fail to take the time to raise your hands and praise the living God who cares about you, who loves you. May God bless you and cause this word to grow like a climbing vine that will reach up to the highest heaven and shower down on you the golden promises of God. May God's face shine upon you and cause you from time to time to feel like flying, free, free, free. God bless you. Thank you.